www.brfcs.com. By the fans. For the fans. Since 1996. Welcome to BRFCS podcast number 54. I'm BRFCS editor Wen Waihu. In this, the last podcast of 2012, we'll be attempting to sift through the wreckage of our football club to see if we can find any signs of sense or dignity surviving. It really is that bad. If you've struggled in the last few days to make sense of it all, you're not alone, and today we'll do our best to clarify matters. This last week has been dominated by the sheer lunacy that we've come to expect over the course of the last two years under the direction of our owners from Pune. Now we were aware that Henning Berg was on borrowed time and had heard that defeat at Middlesbrough on Boxing Day could well signal the end of his tenure as Rovers manager. But the events of the last few days since the defeat have been utterly mad. Henning's sacking was leaked to the Indian press and published in India before Henning had been told a leak that included a quote from Balaji himself that Eric Black would be taking over in a caretaker role. Then the three backroom staff of Eric Black, Ian Brunskill and Bobby Minns found out from the public announcement by the club of their fate. The announcement of the imminent appointment of two coaches, presumed to be Kevin MacDonald and June Nali, ahead of the appointment of a new manager, who it seems wasn't even lined up, then there was the visit to Pune by Managing Director Derek Shaw and Operations Director Paul Agnew, thus missing the Friday AGM of minority shareholders. Reports that Shaw had demanded to see Mrs Desai to ask for the dismissal of Global Advisor Shebi Singh. Counter-reports that Mrs Desai had summoned Shaw and Agnew to Pune for a dressing down. The announcement of the imminent appointment of an experienced manager with Premier League experience, followed by the announcement of the intent to appoint a coach rather than a manager. Then there was the backtracking on the appointment of Juden Ali as a coach, the uncertainty over Kevin McDonald's position, allegations regarding Jerome Anderson and Paul Agnew's involvement and role at the club, and finally, would you believe it, Balaji has finally got his man as Ronaldinho arrives in Pune on Friday for a promotion of an animation film to be produced by Bala Entertainment, which has nothing to do with the Rovers, we're told, and thank goodness, because the last thing we'd want is to be a laughing stock. Welcome to the Punatic Asylum. Well, with me in the virtual studio today to discuss the recent goings-on at the Rovers are Chief Reporter Cammy and Assistant Editor Eddie, and also we welcome long-term forum member Scotty onto today's podcast. First of all, guys, it's the last podcast of 2012. Uh, thanks for coming on, everyone. Uh, Cammy, how are you? I'm all right. When? How are you? Yeah, um, I'm just about to explode, but I believe you've already exploded. Oh, yes. I was there on Thursday morning. Dear, oh, dear. Yeah. Incredible stuff, yeah? Yeah, you know, you know. Unbelievable. Anyway, Eddie, uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Merry Christmas to everyone and uh, Happy New Year in a you know day. Thank you. Uh, Scotty, thanks for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, you've uh, not been so active uh, in recent times, but uh, for a very, very long time, this is for recent members, for, for a very, very long time, you were a, a stalwart on, on the uh, forum, weren't you? Um, I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure a few people would say other things, but yeah, um, I did use the post a lot more than I do now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get going and we'll talk about the sheer punasi that is Blackburn Rovers at the moment. Uh, Cami. Uh, would you like to just take us through some of the events uh, since uh, we lost to Middlesbrough on Boxing Day? Uh, the game itself is perhaps uh, secondary to, to the actual events that uh, have followed since then. Uh, we'll come back to the football later on. Um, Henningberg uh, was presumed to, to be in line for the sack, but uh, the way it came about was uh, just a, a complete and utter joke, wasn't it? Yeah, as we sort of discussed last week on the podcast, uh, that if Henning lost to Middlesbrough, then his position would would come under serious threat. Uh, obviously, uh, you know we lost to Middlesbrough one nil, uh, albeit the performance, particularly in the first half, uh, wasn't wasn't too bad compared to 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 some of the other games. Um, I 
sort of expected him to be sacked. And um, late on Wednesday night, uh, one of my contacts in Pune texted me to say that um, a decision regarding Henning's future being made and that he'd, he'd be sacked. Um, I didn't post any of that because we've been here with Steve Keane before, where the night before, you know, we've been told Keane was getting sacked and press statements, etc. were ready. And then the next morning, they'd had a change of heart. Um, so um, I think I told Steve and Glenn, but, but you know, we, we kept it quite close. We didn't do a story or anything on it. Um, after that, um, you know, um, I went to sleep and I had Philip ringing me up about five o'clock in the morning <laughs> uh, telling me that uh, this statement had come out from Balaji. Um, so we sort of, it was a bit of a farce after that because Henning still hadn't been told that he was being sacked. The statement was there uh, from from Balaji and various media outlets had picked her up. Uh, eventually, Henning was told that he was being sacked. Um, and 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 I think that was literally only minutes before, um, you know, it, the, the the official statement was released. And then, as has been covered by the Lancashire Telegraph and a few other uh, newspapers, the backroom staff were officially told. You know, they they found out when we found out in terms of when the official statement was released. So, you know, as part of the course for this club, uh, the the sacking of of Berg and of the backroom staff uh, was completely mishandled. And when you've got, I mean, Shebby, uh, Shebby didn't even have the decency uh, to tell Henning face to face that he'd been sacked. You know, he didn't talk to him, hasn't talked to him. Uh, it was left to you know some some other person to ring he- uh, Henning and tell him that he'd be relieved of his managerial duties. And then it's frankly a disgrace uh, what's happened to the coaching staff. You know, they were there, they were ready uh, to do a coaching session and then the official statements released to say that they were being sacked. So you had a farcical situation uh, on, you know, Thursday morning where your manager had gone, the three senior coaching staff had gone and you had players there who'd come in for a warm-down uh, training session uh, and, and, you know, it was just completely utterly ludicrous and completely mishandled. Yeah. Now, on the evening before in India, uh, the Times of India had actually um, run, run a story. Now, there's no direct quote in that story uh, from Balaji that, uh, that he'd been sacked now, my understanding of the timing of all of this is that given that there's a five and a half hour time difference between uh, England and Pune, it would mean that 10.30pm at night, the final whistle at Middlesbrough would have sounded and the deadline for getting copy in would be round about 10.30 to 11, maybe midnight at the latest. Now, it suggests to me that the interview had been carried out in advance of the game and that uh, possibly the decision had already been taken in in advance. Maybe, maybe, maybe Balaji had said, give me a call at the final whistle or or if if we lose, uh, just publish. Do, do you have any views on that? Yeah, I mean, it's quite standard practice within your journalistic circles here and abroad uh, it's quite possible that Balaji has already talked to the newspaper and and told them that should we lose, then you know Henningberg will be sacked and you can run this story. Uh, I suspect they were slightly, um, you know, sort of reticent in running it because they don't include anything direct from Balaji, so it's more of a speculationly kind of article. Although they do source Balaji as as the the the, the person giving them the information, so. I suspect what's happened is Balaji had already talked to the newspaper prior to the Middlesbrough game and had told them that if if we lost, then then there would be a change of, of manager at Rovers. And, and that was consistent with what we were talking about last weekend where, where we were saying that if if Rovers did lose against Middlesbrough, then it would make, um, you know, Henning's position almost untenable. Yeah. Sorry, can I can I just ask a question, Cammy? I was wondering, is Balaji the one who's now making these final decisions? Is it not um, Mrs. Desai anymore? 
from from what I'm told, I think she's she she decides all financial matters. So if there was a bank loan, etc., Mrs. decide decides all of that. But whereas in the past to sack Steve Keane, it would have to be written off by Mrs. Desai, and and she was reticent to do that. I think now there's been a slight change in the way things are working with 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 Balaji being the main man making the decisions. But to sack Berg, you would have to have had. Uh, um, an agreement between the four of them, so his brother, Mrs. Desai, and her husband, all four of them, would have had to sign that one off because it's they, they termed that a major decision. Uh, but because the Steve Keen situation was different, because Mrs. Desai was very good friends with Keen and his and his missus, uh, she was always uh, very unwilling to upset them or to to sack them. With Berg, it's different. You know, she hasn't got a relationship with him. Uh, or his wife, so I think it was a bit easier uh, for for Balaji to get him sacked. So uh, I think day to day Balaji makes most of the decisions. Anything financial that has to go via Mrs Desai, and anything major like sacking Berg, all four of them would have had to have signed that one off. So by the end of the Middlesbrough match, essentially Henningberg's fate was sealed, and yet uh, they didn't have the gumption to to inform him until the following morning was it later in that evening it was the following morning after it had been leaked uh, to the to the press and i know henning was contacted by a couple of journalists uh, early in the morning tell, asking him about these quotes and and he definitely wasn't aware that he was being sacked you know he kind of had an inkling but he hadn't been told officially by anyone at the club yeah incredible and then in the wake of that, uh, we had the announcement of the imminent appointment of a couple of coaches, um, which was absolutely astounding because they didn't appear to have a, a manager um, lined up at the time, and yet they were going to appoint uh, two coaches. Very, very strange. And uh, the the idea was that uh, Kevin MacDonald and Juden Ali would be appointed uh, although that's being uh, denied now, uh, do you, do you have any uh, um, inside track on that? To be fair, that wasn't an announcement from the club. That was something that um, Alan Nixon initially started, and then a couple of other journalists ran with with the story uh, later on 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 Thursday in the in the evening sort of newspapers. Uh, but if you I can't say much on that because I'll get myself into trouble with, with, with people at the club. But if people read uh, last night's Twitter exchange between Martin Blackburn and, and Andy Cryer, both of them two were discussing this. And, you know, it's pretty obvious from 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 their, their Twitter exchange, they were saying that um, basically they'd been briefed by, you know, Shebby Singh, the club, that this is what would be happening in terms of two coaches coming in, one being Jude and Ali. So they were debunking what Shebby had said on on 606. He was there on 606 saying that these were rumours that he'd started and that these had been, you know, it was something that he wasn't aware of or it wasn't rumours that he, well, it was hard to make out what he was saying because it was a completely embarrassing performance by Shebby on 606. But the general gist of it was that he hadn't started these rumours but if you read Martin Blackburn and Andy Cryer's uh, Twitter feeds, they they're suggesting that they were um, briefed by the club, and that's consistent with with what I was told as well. Yeah. So when we say announcement, it's uh, an unofficial announcement. It's more a statement of intent. Yeah. Quite quite often you get briefed by the club that look this is. Might, what might be happening? You know, we might be getting this. It's all off the record kind of things, and don't don't say anything for the next twenty four hours, etc. Quite often, you get briefed to say this is what's going to be happening uh, with, in terms of you know coaches coming in, a chief executive or whatever. Uh, quite often, you get get briefed as to what's going to be happening. Yeah, and that's not just rule; it happens all over the place. Yes, yeah. Uh, now, Jun Ali was. Quite, quite obviously, he was uh, intended as a uh, an appointment, and uh, now he's had to come out and state categorically that he won't be taking a position at the club. Um, how bizarre is that? Yeah, I mean, you know, on face value, he would. We were told consistently that he was here 
to further his education and and you know he's come out and and pretty much said that he's not going to be taking a job here and that he was only here to to further his education but you know when when you've got a club in the mess that rovers have been in the last three or four weeks uh you know why why invite somebody over get your own house in order first and then get somebody from outside coming in particularly someone like Julian Ali who previously has stated you know that he'd like to become a manager in the Premier League and there was speculation about him being involved at the time when Henning Berger was appointed so it really stupid to have someone like that at the club uh, when your manager's under pressure there's absolute chaos chaos uh, on and off the field you know there's speculation that uh, Shebby and and Henning falling out over team selection, etc. You know, it was really really stupid to have him at the club at this point. And then when Henning sacked to keep him at the club, you know, if he's just a guest, why 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 you know when you've got no manager, you've got no coaching staff, you know, why why keep a, a guest there? You, you know, he he'd be told to leave, and that will will reorganise it when uh, when when we have a more you know, stable sort of club and a manager in place and new coaching staff in 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 place, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll rearrange it for you uh, rather than just keep him on. Yeah, and it just doesn't make sense. And you know, I'm pretty sure that the original intention was for him to be given a coach's job. I'm I'm absolutely convinced that that's that is that was the case. And then the fans backlash, the media. You know, picking it up and running stories about former Bollywood actor uh, about to become a Rovers coach, etc., has put a stop to it. Yeah. Now, the two two coaches, uh, if if one was Judenali, then the other for sure was uh, Kevin McDonald, was it not? Yeah, I mean, you know, Alan Nixon's been running this. Um, people are saying it's leaked to him by Shaw and and an avenue to destabilize the club but you know what you know Shebby's met um met McDonald on Thursday Friday you know that's that's been stated so he was on 6 or 6 last night Shebby was saying he wants to be Kevin McDonald's friend you know, it's just <laughs> I'm sorry for it's just ridiculous uh you you've sacked your manager you've met Kevin McDonald and you just want to be his friend I mean Again, it just doesn't make sense uh, what he's saying about McDonald. Uh, he wants to be his friend, and and that he's you know had meetings with him just to to be his friend. Having said that, Kevin McDonald is highly rated coach. Uh, I I didn't know much about him, but I've talked to people within the game, and you know apparently he's a very very good coach, particularly uh, working with with young people, uh, young players. So so his coaching is 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 something that the club does need and if he's good with younger players then we've got a squad full of them so so that would make sense uh, to bring a really good coach in but not before you've hired a manager surely you've got to hire a manager first and let the manager choose his staff unless they have actually identified a manager and and he's told them to bring Kevin McDonald in but you know that doesn't look like, like well it's not immediately apparent that that's what's happened yeah and also, it doesn't fit in with the uh, the two coaches idea. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it it just doesn't make sense that you're bringing coaches in before you've hired a manager, unless you aren't going to hire a manager and you're going to have a head coach and a couple of other coaches underneath that that head coach, and and you run it that way. Uh, it's more of a continental system where you have a director of football doing the transfers, etc., and then you have head coach. Uh, training what he's given basically so so you know he's given a squad and told to get on with it and then you have a number of other specialist coaches if that's the, what, what they want to do what, why not just come out and say it, that this is this is what the model we're going to follow by having a head coach uh, some specialist coaches underneath them and then a director of football and if that director of football is going to be shabby then then just come out and say it, that that's what they want to do um, rather than you know all this you know, bull that they're coming out with on radio interviews, etc., confusing people. Mm. Now, um, there has been this uh, miscommunication on on the uh, terminology. Uh, sometimes it's a manager, sometimes it's a coach. Um, there's also been a suggestion that Kevin McDonald is coming in as a head coach, other times just as a coach. 
Um, if you really just couldn't make it up, could you? Yeah, I mean, just it's well. Unfortunately, it's just a continuation of three years of absolute chaos. You know, when I, I well, I did my article a few weeks ago. When Keane left, I thought finally we might be getting the club back into some kind of semblance of order. Uh, but to be honest, since Keane's gone, the situation has got even worse. I would say, both on and off the field, is completely spiralled out of control, and the goings on of this week are just beyond belief. You know, it's not professional. It's to call it amateurish would be would be being kind. You know, I work with Sunday league clubs, and they're better than than what Rovers is, and and it's something that's completely spiralled out of control. And you've got your three senior executives seemingly fighting with each other. You've got Shebby going on radio saying that there's people within the club working against them and he was he, he was bought in to sort them out. You've got Shaw and Agnew off to Puna having meetings with the owners. You've got Shebby running things here. It's just complete, utter chaos when your senior management team can't work together and seem to be working against each other, then you're never going to go forward. It doesn't matter if you have Mourinho as a manager. If you don't have a proper structure off the club, people working together to, to move it forward, you you ain't going to get, you know, you're not going to move forward. It doesn't matter who you sign as a manager. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, just to get back to the manager situation, uh, Balaji Rao has indicated that there'll be an experienced uh, manager. Uh, well, I think it was a manager with Premier League experience was the expression, wasn't it? A coach with Premier League experience was his exact yeah, quote. Was going to be coming in, and uh, we presume that that was Kevin McDonald. Uh, do you have any other information? The only other thing that I've been told, and it's come from two really reliable sources, plus uh, Mark Fish from the Action Group also tweeted it that a new manager will be unveiled on this coming Tuesday, so the first of January. Uh, Shebby also said something on radio saying that 2012 has been a bad year and he's superstitious and he'd rather announce the new manager on, on the 1st of January. Uh, you know, Hindu religion <laughs> uh, and our owners are Hindus are very big on superstition. Uh, so I'm just wondering whether they've already sorted manager out and because of some you know, superstition, etc., they're going to wait till the 1st of January. But two very, very reliable sources and Mark Fish, who is also very, very reliable in, in, in these kind of matters, have all said that that you know a new manager will be announced on the first of January. So you know that's Tuesday. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, I've talked to Mark Hughes' people, and they've told me that he remains interested in 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 getting back into management as soon as possible, and that he would consider dropping down to the Championship. Uh, they've not had any contact from Rovers, so I asked the question, if Rovers were to contact him, would he be interested in, in the job? And his people said he'd be interested in any job, but the Rovers one in, in particular, he would uh, require some assurances um, before he would, would actually consider that, that, that sort of position. So I'm assuming he needs assurances on budgets, on being able to bring his own staff in, and assurances about interference from above. If those assurances were given, then according to Mark Hughes's, um, you know, sort of advisors, then he'd he'd be interested in 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 Rover's job. And more generally, they said he's um, very very keen to get back into management as soon as possible. So he's interested. Phil Brown's interested, um, and quite a few others, I'm assume the ones who applied at the time when Berg was appointed, I assume they're still interested. So they could still have a choice of some, some pretty good managers uh, should they wish to go on and appoint somebody with, with a bit of experience. Yeah. And uh, you're using the word manager there, so you're, you're pretty confident that it's a manager going to be coming in, not a, not a head coach. No, 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 no. Nothing's ever confident with these guys. To be honest, I don't think anyone knows what they're going to do. But um, you know, reliable people are saying an experienced manager will be coming in, or you know, uh, no, not an experienced manager. Reliable people are saying an announcement about the new manager, stroke coach, or whatever it's going to be, will be made on the first of January. Right. But 
what it is, who it is, honestly, I, I, I don't have an idea and I don't think anyone outside Shebby probably and maybe the owners has a proper idea of, of what, what they're going to do. But I think it's a moving situation. I think they were going to go down this head coach route. I think they were going to bring uh, Judan Ali and a few other coaches in. The backlash from the fans and from the media, I think, has possibly resulted in the rethink and and that they now will go ahead and, and appoint a manager. But you know, anything's possible. But I think the backlash from the fans and media, etc., has changed Shebby's mind and that he'll now go and recommend that we, we get a proper manager in. Mm. And adding to this confusion is what Agnew and Shaw are doing in India. That now, you know, they were there, they've had meetings with the owners. Apparently they watched the game with the owners yesterday. They get a, a feed of every game uh being back to Pune. So, you know, what's happening there? Are they there to be sacked or are they there to try and get Shebby sacked? Uh if you believe some people they're saying that they were summoned out there to be sacked. The other people are saying that no, they've gone out there to uh, talk to the owners about the club in general and about the way Shebby's been behaving, sort of running the club. From previous experience, from what I know, Mrs Desai and the owners don't like to do uh, sackings face-to-face. It's not the way they work. So you know, maybe they're not there to be sacked. Maybe they are there to answer some questions that the owners have and for them to uh, sort of talk about their concerns so from previous experience they've never done sackings face to face they didn't do it with John Williams or Tom Finn or Martin Goodman or you know the numerous other people that have left the club so I'd be surprised if they're there and they're going to get sacked most likely they're there to answer some concerns that the owners have and then also be given an opportunity to uh, put their case forward in terms of what they feel the concerns are in terms of the way the club's been run um, but you know, if if they go there and tell Mrs. Desai how to run the club, and uh, and how, who she should hire and fire, I don't think that will go down well. Uh, she doesn't like employees telling her what to do, uh, so I assume they'll be clever and and um, just tell her what the issues are and let her decide what to do next. So so yeah, I've been talking a lot. I'll, maybe Eddie and Scotty, what what do you guys feel about you know what's been going on over the last week in particular? Oh, I, I was just going to ask you a question, Ashton, Cammy. I mean, obviously this is all just your opinion and based on speculation, but there's clearly some sort of power struggle going on between, it seems, Chevy and um, Agnew and Shaw. Who do you think will win that battle? I, I would say that Chevy would would win with win any battle with, with Agnew and, and Shaw, purely because he's employed by the owners. They trust him. They've gone with his... You know, unless Agnew and Shaw can prove to the owners that his judgment is flawed and that what he's doing to the club is going to make the owners look stupid, uh, I think what they'll do is they'll go with Chevy. He's the man. He's the one who's been bought in to run the club. He's just carried out what the owners have told him to do, you know, to communicate with the fans and try and get some of the fans back on side and, you know, get you know, the club running in some kind of whatever way they want it running, etc. So I think they'll back Shebby in the end, unless Shaw and Agnew are able to convince them that what Shebby's doing is is going to be to their detriment. And, and I honestly don't believe that either of them two are capable enough to, 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 do, to do that with the owners. It's just a sorry state of affairs, really, isn't it? It's just it lurches from one chaos to the next. I mean, as someone who doesn't know any inside information, I hear all the rumours, I generally have no idea what to believe, but just on a day-to-day basis, I mean, it's not even shocking anymore, but it just seems to be more and more ridiculous, and it's got to the point now where, I mean, people just openly laugh at us, you know. I I said a while ago that we've become one of these clubs that I used to laugh at, you know, we used to laugh at other clubs, clubs like Newcastle and... Leads and teams in the past that have had chaos going on, but I don't think any of them have ever had anything quite like this. It's just, um, like I say, you've got to laugh over your cry, wouldn't you? You know. Yeah, I mean we're a laughing stock within the game, and I don't know if anyone listened to the six or six last night, but that was just horrendous. 
the, the performance at Shebiport up there actually was quite good because the rest of the footballing sort of world, uh, particularly in, in the UK, everyone saw what we've been saying. You know, they've been having go at fans, etc., as to to why we're complaining. And I think half an hour of listening to Shebby, it 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 opened the eyes of 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 a lot of people in terms of uh, you know the clowns that are running the club. Did anyone I mean, listen to Sussex? I am. I'm working up to it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I was on a train. I was on a train yesterday, coming back from the match when um, it was actually on, so I couldn't listen to it then. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure how keen I am to listen to it now, but I will do it at some point. But I have seen all the reaction to it, and um, the reaction was just um, it was quite vicious, wasn't it? It was. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've, I'm on Twitter and um, I follow lots of other fellow Rovers fans on Twitter and um, he certainly got called a few names, I know that. And and I know we'll go on to talk about yesterday's match in a bit, but um, certainly the crowd reaction towards Shebby and, and Venkis was the worst I've heard um, following Rovers. I mean, they, some of the chants were pretty vicious and it was throughout the match. And uh, yeah, Shebby's certainly got a few um, PR issues at the moment, I think, within the club. <laughs> Kemi, um, in terms of the power struggle, how do the likes of Karen Silk and the other directors come into this? I mean, are they perfectly safe? Do they, you know, express their opinion on what's going on or do they sort of stay out of the way? They leave them to it, to be honest, Eddie. They don't get involved in, in any of what's going on with these three because it's just not worth not worth the hassle. Actually, Karen Silk is quite a very, very competent sort of finance person. Um and she's quite well respected, so she just does what she's got to do in terms of making sure all the financial returns, etc., are all above board. Uh, they don't get involved with with the the three amigos, as they're known as. You know, they just leave them three to it. And and do you know what sort of payoff Henningberg will have received for for being sacked? I mean, did he have a specific clause in his contract that allowed him to? Um... Yeah, that won't have been decided just yet. I think he was on a three-year contract, so. Uh, what normally happens with these sackings is the sacking's done, and then over the next few weeks, an agreement between um, the the club and and Henning uh, will be reached, um, and and then they'll they'll take it from there. Interestingly, uh, Alan Nixon, I think in one of his articles on Thursday or Friday, uh, suggested that Steve Keane's payment was 1.2 million that an agreement had been reached of 1.2 million basically Mrs. Decide didn't want it going to court so an out of court settlement for his constructive dismissal I think he was going for uh, was was 1.2 million not bad eh? No, nice work if you can get it Eddie you've uh, just published an article The Last Vestige of Hope Uh, you're also uh, getting pretty wound up by the whole situation you're usually uh, pretty level-headed yeah i think it touches on what what scotty mentioned i i, I think you just you, they've turned the club into a laughing stock and that's the hardest sort of pill to swallow i don't really mind the performances on the pitch if you could be proud of the way that the club was being run and have some faith that in the future it might turn around but it's just reached a point now where i have no no you know no belief whatsoever that they're ever going to make a correct decision and any sort of conspiracy theory that comes up now about why certain decisions are being made you have to somewhat believe and to have reached that stage is just incredible i mean you could you could say almost anything about why henningberg was being sacked or you know i mean you could come up with some idiotic name for who was being considered for our next manager and you'd have to actually seriously consider it for a second and that's the biggest you know, criticism you can possibly say. I just have, it's just reached a complete breaking point for me. You know, I, I was optimistic when Steve Keane left that we might actually sort of have reached a, a turning point and that we might get someone in charge who would stand up for themselves and run the football club properly and that having one sensible mind on board might be able to influence the rest and, and get the club run properly. And whether or not Henningberg was the correct man for that, and seemingly he wasn't, it still goes to show that even if we make the correct decision now in terms of a capable and experienced manager, it's unlikely that it will have any influence whatsoever on what's going on off the field, and that's probably more important than anything that happens on it. Well, 
We've had the Middlesbrough match and the Barnsley match uh, since the last podcast. Uh, did anybody go to the Middlesbrough match, Scotty? I'm afraid I didn't, no. I did go to the Barnsley one, but not the Middlesbrough one, no. No. It, uh, Cammy, you were watching the Middlesbrough match, I believe, but you didn't yeah. actually go up there. Um, you, yeah. you were saying before, the first half was pretty good. Um, the, the accounts that I've read seem to suggest so. Uh, but second half, the usual capitulation. No, no, even second half, I thought we did all right. Middlesbrough never yeah. really cut us apart. Um, we had as many chances as they did in the first half. I mean, Kazim could have, Kazim Richards could have scored, I think, within the first two minutes. And and we, we controlled the first 25 minutes. Middlesbrough came into it a little bit towards half time. And then we started the second half again, very strong. Um, we had a couple of chances that, you know, Jordan Rhodes in particular normally is deadly inside the area, but it's, I think his radar was a bit off on uh, against Middlesbrough. He he could have notched, and it was your classic game. If we'd gone one nil up, we'd have gone and, and won it. Unfortunately, uh, it was Middlesbrough who got the goal. Um, pretty, you know, it was it was a good strike, but I think our defenders could could definitely have done better. And then once they were one nil up, uh, um, unfortunately, that's when we did sort of we sort of struggled then and, and the confidence seemed to, to drain away from the players but you know first half we were the better side and in the second half uh, while we were as strong as we were in the first half Middlesbrough didn't really overrun us in, in any in any way but it was just that first goal whoever got it you know would, would go on and, and win the game and unfortunately for us it was Middlesbrough and, and, and not us but yeah in terms of performance it was uh, a much better performance than what we've had recently under under Henning. Mm. Yeah, I think Eddie, you were also watching it uh, over in Paris. Yeah, I saw the game on a, on a television feed, and the first half was good. Um, and I agree with Cammy; it was just one of those games where the, the first goal was so important, and we didn't get it. You know, we didn't kind of have that bit of luck that you might need sometimes. And it was certainly one of the better performances under Berg. Um, and I think we, I mean, without talking specifically about yesterday's game now, it, it was certainly seemed as if we built on that going into the game against Barnsley. Yeah. Um, moving on to the Barnsley game, um, everyone was predicting uh, that there'd be a, a terrible hammering over in Barnsley in store for us. There are also some rather strange rumours going around about uh, uh, the Portuguese contingent. Um, some suggestions that uh, uh, would maybe have four or five uh, of, of the Portuguese contingent uh, in in the squad and possibly even in the team. Uh, none of that uh, came about. Uh, it was, by all accounts, a pretty decent performance. And uh, we, amazingly, won 3-1. Um, first of all, Scotty, you were, you were at the game. Um, what uh, what was the pre-match atmosphere like amongst Rovers fans? Um, I guess resignation, um, despair. Um, there's an awful lot of people basically laughing, <laughs> but not in a funny way, you know. It's just, like I say, I think everyone's just shocked and um, bemused and confused about what's going on, so... But the actual atmosphere in the stands when, um, I mean, I I got there about 10 minutes before kickoff and took my seat then, and the atmosphere was brilliant. I thought the fans got behind the team fantastically well. There was, as I said before, there was an awful lot of anti Shebby chanting and anti Venkis chanting, but there was, in between it, there was an awful lot of encouragement for the team. And um, it's almost like the more chaos there is off the field, then it's kind of bringing the fans together, certainly at away games anyway. Obviously not at home games, but at away games. I think um, it's becoming, the resolve is kind of bringing people together and making for a better atmosphere at away games. The chanting, Scotty, more vicious against Venkis than you've seen before? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it was pretty non-stop throughout the game. Um an awful lot of it was targeted towards Chevy directly. Um, I won't repeat the chance, but there's um, <laughs> there quite a few people calling him certain names and um, suggesting he's not a very nice person. Um, but there is plenty of anti-Venky stuff as well. I mean, there's obviously been bits of that in the past, but I've never seen it to that level as it was yesterday. 
I think the best chant I could pick out was Nobody's Blue and White Army, which was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was sung an awful <laughs> lot, yeah. <laughs> dear, oh dear. So, what about the game? Because obviously watching it there is pretty different to watching it on a TV screen. So, what did you make of it? I thought we were pretty good, to be honest. Um, we started off shakily for the first 10 or 15 minutes. Barnsley were definitely on top and pressing, but um, I guess you can understand that after everything that's happened recently, but um, we gradually worked our way into the game, we defended well when we had to, we worked our way into the game and and it was almost like a classic away performance in that we soaked up pressure and hit on the break and we used the pace of um, particularly King um, and Rashina's trickery in midfield and um, we attacked on the break and scored two goals effectively on the break and um, in the first half and probably deserved it by the end of the half. Um, and then in the second half, we were comfortable, um, as comfortable as I can remember, because normally when we go in front, you just kind of expect us to concede again. And obviously we did in the end, but it was, it was a shock conceding the goal because we just looked completely in control. And then that obviously brought a nervy last, well, what we thought last 10 minutes, but because of the injury to um, one of the Barnsley players, we ended up with nine minutes of injury time. So it was the last 20 minutes of um, a bit of a Alamo from Barnsley. But again, nothing serious. and nothing, At no point did I really think we'd concede another. And then, thankfully, just to ease all our nerves, we all just managed to get one right at the end. And um, you could just see how much it meant to the players and um, the crowd and everything by the celebrations, the whole team ran to where the fans were and um, yeah it was a very good moment and confirmed the three points and it was at that point in particular when seeing all the players that you realise just how young our team is because you go through them and it's Keane, Hanley, Henley, Lowe, Rashina, Rhodes, King, they're all what 23 or under, Olsen, so you just realise what a young team we had out there and uh, I thought it was a pretty good performance and especially when you think about the circumstances off the field. Um, it was pretty good yesterday. I enjoyed it yesterday. First time for a long time. Was there a decent following from the Rovers? Officially, apparently it was um, 1,250 fans there. But um, we made a lot of noise. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty good to be honest. Yeah, I mean, what I could pick out from from... The, the feed that I had was uh, I thought Han, uh, Hanley in the in centre defence seemed to be very commanding, uh, and and Dan did did better in the second half. So them two, and the team spirit you you think they'd be dispirited after what's happened, but it seems to have had the opposite effect. It's brought the players together, so to so to speak, and they they kind of they know what. The chaos is at the club and what's happening with the senior players, etc. And and it seems to have brought them together rather than than make them dispirited and not and not caring. They were a yard, they were a yard quicker than we have been. And people like I thought for me, man of the match was Danny Murphy, and he's been accused this season of lacking mobility and um, not getting involved enough. But I thought he was all over the place yesterday. He was um, flying into tackles. He was. Um, covering for people that went forward um, and um, passing the ball well as well. And I thought I thought he was excellent and I know it was a real captain's performance and that kind of drove everyone else on. And like you say, particularly at the heart of our defence, um, we looked very solid yesterday and we were always a threat on the break with the pace of King and um, Rashina running at people. So Good, good. Yeah, and uh, what about uh, the formation? Uh, was there any change in the formation or the organisation of, of the team on the pitch that you could see? No, I mean, it, it, it was pretty much a standard 4-4-2 with Rashina sort of behind Rhodes. But um, we probably for the... I'm trying to think, but I can't remember a time when we used our wingers as much as we did yesterday. I mean, King in particular down the left. Um, he... He basically terrorised Barnsley in the first half. I thought, you know, he was giving the ball a lot, and he kept running at people. And um, and yeah, we um, we used a lot of width. I mean, it, it seemed, and this may be rubbish, but it seemed like quite a big pitch, Barnsley's, and we used the width well. And there was an awful lot of space when we seemed to attack Barnsley available for us. So yeah, it's. So in terms of formation changes, no, probably not. But I think we probably used the formation better than we have in the past. 
And in the past, certainly recently, we seem to have been very narrow, and yesterday we weren't. So, yeah. And movement-wise, uh, one of the problems uh, in recent times has been the lack of movement, and having someone like Danny Murphy in the side, sitting, sitting there, um, kind of in the holding role. Uh, unless he's got someone to aim at, uh, he's pretty, pretty much nullified. Um, was there a, lo a lot more movement, more for him to aim at? Yeah, I think as I said before, the the whole team just seemed a bit quicker, a bit more energetic, a bit more life about them. And I think Rashina's is very good at dropping and finding space, um, and that gives an outlet for Murphy. And I think, um, like I said, with Vucevic and King on the wings, they seem to always um, they were very wide, a lot wider than usual, and and they seem to always be available for a pass as well. Um, so yeah. Murphy had options, and I guess that's no coincidence that I thought he was man of the match because he actually had people to pass to. So, yeah, yeah. I think when when Regina plays, he's a greedy sod, and sometimes his decision making is awful. But what he does do is he's not scared of taking the ball off the midfield or or showing for the ball, and then he's the kind of link between midfield and and Rhodes. He's a really good at linking play together. Uh, you know, he does sometimes decision making is awful, and and he might try and do the extra trick when he should be passing the ball. But when he's playing, it seems to give the midfield loads of options in terms of he'll make movement, he'll come and take the ball, he'll go long, he'll come short, and he'll link all the play together. So, I, I think he's essential for us. Um, we have to accept that, you know, he's sometimes off or his decision making is poor, uh, but. I think he's essential for, for our team in terms of getting the midfield and our forward play linked together. I think Ricina is absolutely essential for that. He was very good in the first half and, and he did exactly what you just said. He um, he kept dropping off, he kept finding space and Murphy or whoever had the ball, you know, he was always available and he was very good. In the second half, he went into um, his full take-the-piss mode, basically, and started like just running at everyone and trying all little fancy flicks and everything. And um, he quite quickly got hold off. But, um, but yeah, in, in the first half, he was, he was very good. Eddie, how about you? You uh, watched the match. Do, do you have any comments? Yeah, I thought it was a good performance. Um, I think, you know, we, they're right. We actually, st you know, as in the Middlesbrough game, we started to use the width of the pitch and that opens it up for, uh, for our midfield to actually sort of be in the game. Um, Murphy was better. Uh, central midfield, I think, has been our huge problem throughout the season. I mean, it's basically been non-existent for most of the games in which we've played. So that was definitely an improvement. And I'd agree with Rashina. I think he's one of the few players that we have who can actually change a game uh, by himself. And so he almost has to play, and we have to accept that there'll be games when he is useless almost. But it'll be worth it for the you know four or five matches in a year that he could possibly win by himself. Um, so, you know... I thought he played well yesterday. I thought overall it was a good performance. I thought King played particularly well. I was sort of sceptical when he first signed, and his first couple of performances were a bit a bit under par. But the last two games, he's played really well. What I would say is that we benefited from, particularly with the first goal, from a bit of luck that we maybe haven't had in recent weeks. And you have to feel a bit sorry for Henningberg because I don't think there was ever really a moment in any of the matches that he was in charge of where we were particularly lucky. And if you look at this season under both... Um, you know, well, yesterday and under Steve Keane, we, you know, luck has probably won us games and Henningberg just never got it. I think what I would sort of temper all this with is that while we did play very well and probably the best we've played for a long time, I didn't think Barnsley were particularly good. And the last win we got was against Peterborough, who I thought were fairly shocking. And I don't think it's any coincidence that they're both down near the bottom. So, yeah, it was a good performance, good win. Enjoyed it. But um, let's wait and see when how we do against a couple of other teams before we get too excited, I think. Yeah, completely. And, I mean, it, sh it shows you how people view us to see that, you know, we, we beat Barnsley and they immediately sacked their manager after the game. You lost to the circus club, so you sacked. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone anyone who loses us to, at the moment, that should be them gone. It, it re I mean, it really makes 
Berg look bad, though, when you think that our, our record under caretaker managers is now played 7-1-3, drawn 3, lost 1. And he had his 10 games in charge and only managed to get the one win. I mean, maybe maybe we just shouldn't... Maybe we should just let the players run it themselves. Yeah. Hope for the best. On that point, uh, uh, team selection for the Barnsley match... Um, Cammy, do you, do you have any uh, inside information as to who actually selected that team? I, I, I would say Boyer. Boyer said, I don't know who selected the squad. That's completely different. Uh, but I think the starting eleven that was done by you know Boyer. But the squad with the you know Dunny, Pedersen, uh, Atuhu, and Robinson being dropped, um, three of which I would say are very big critics of what's been happening at the club. Um, so I don't know who selected the squad, but in terms of the starting eleven, I think that was done by, by Boyer. Well, it's just that the official site reported those players as being injured. Um, was that the, is that the case? I mean, I'm obviously rather sceptical about that, but we had about eight injuries listed yesterday. And... Um, I can say with great confidence that neither Morton nor David Dunn were injured yesterday. They were available for selection. And Paul Robinson? Uh, Robbo, I, I haven't checked with Robbo, so I'm not, I wouldn't say Robbo 100% that he wasn't, that he, he was fit, but definitely uh, uh, Dunny, Pedersen uh, were, were available for selection yesterday. Robbo, uh, I think he is available for selection, but I would need to check that one, so I wouldn't like to say for, for definite, but but Dunny and Pedersen were available for selection. So okay. rumour regarding selection that was going around last night, and um, I need to tread carefully here, but there was a rumour going around that both Dunny and Pedersen have made um, representations to the PFA about what's going on with regarding their positions at the club, and that they basically suggesting that they've almost been constructively dismissed because they've been left out of the squad for no obvious reasons. So I don't know if anyone knows anything more about that, Cammy. We have to be very, very careful here. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, allegedly, and from what I've heard, that that they're not the only ones. And I don't think it's to do with constructive dismissal. I think they've raised concerns with the PFA and someone very senior at the PFA and people being able to guess who that is uh, regarding what's happening at the club full stop as players. Uh, now, whether the PFA have any sort of recall, what they can do about it, I'm not sure. But I don't think they've said anything about constructive dismissal, so to speak, to say that they've been forced out of the club. I don't think they've done that. But I think they and a number of other players, I think, have told the PFA or asked the PFA for some help regarding just the general situation as to what's happening that you would, you know, particularly this week. And I think they've um, taken it up with a very senior person within the PFA. The second thing I heard was that Dunn effectively walked out of the club last week. He um, effectively just said, that's it, I've had enough, I'm off. I think he was very angry, but I don't think he's said rip up my contract or anything like that. I don't think we're at that stage just yet. But I think he was very, very angry. But he was available for selection yesterday and he wasn't selected for the squad. But I don't think he's ripped up his contract or anything like that. What was he allegedly angry about? Uh, allegedly, the way the club's been run and obviously angry about what happened with Henning in terms of how it was done and angry at the way that the coaches were told about them being sacked and angry about the general circus uh, surrounding the club. So I think it wasn't just one factor. I think the players are quite angry about the full shebang in terms of what's going on. And it's very, very, very interesting yesterday the players were coming out and thanking the fans for the support and saying how great the fans were. 
I think that should give you indication as to what they feel about Venkis because if, like Scott is saying yesterday, was it pretty much wall to wall anti Venki stuff and anti Shebby stuff, would you say, Scott Scotty? Yeah, pretty much. Um certainly more than I've ever heard before. I mean it's the first time I've ever heard Shebby getting as much stick as that. And um Venki's also copped a lot as well. So yeah, it's far and away the most I've ever heard. So it was like sort of negative chanting, wouldn't you say, in terms of against, you know, Venkis and Shebby, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And the players came out and said, thank the fans for this tremendous support. I think that should tell everyone what the players feel about the situation without us, without us getting into any legal problems. You know, just look at the chanting yesterday and then look at what the players were saying after the game in terms of thanking the fans for, for the tremendous support. I think we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Now, um, wasn't it uh, stated in the immediate aftermath of Henningberg's sacking that uh, Danny Murphy and uh, David Dunn would be ta- taking the training sessions and looking after the team? No. I, I think that was... A, that, see, this is... That was a rumour? Yeah. I mean, it's hard when I, I agree... There's so much stuff coming out. You don't know what to believe and what not to believe. But I don't think that was said by by the club. Um, it, they were just said, you know, the co- the remaining coaches, Boyer, etc., would be taking uh, taking training, etc. That's good. Yeah. But you know, Danny Murphy's very senior person, and I'm sure he had some input in terms of uh, you know helping Boyer in with, with with the players, etc. I think I think he he may have taken charge of. Uh, getting the players sorted, etc., and, and that's why you saw that kind of committed performance yesterday. Yeah, good. Right, well, yeah, thank you very much. Um, I think that's uh, all we have time for uh, for this podcast. Um, we do have just one or two little bits of news. Um, there's been a call by Clayton's left boot. Uh, for Rovers fans to attend AFC Darwin next week instead of going along to the FA Cup match against Bristol City. Um, That's uh, quite an interesting idea. Uh, Earlier there were uh, some uh, calls to go to Chorley, uh, to watch Chorley instead of going to the Rovers, and uh, Clayton's left boot is uh, now called for fans to go along to AFC Darwin. Uh, Bristol City Cup match could be rather... Poorly attended, but uh, we'll watch out for that one. And uh, finally, uh, sponsors, uh, ProBiz, uh, they had uh, their sponsorship on the front of the shirt for the Barnsley match. Uh, if you recall, the original uh, arrangement was for two matches, uh, including the Brighton match, but because of the uh, postponement of the Brighton match, uh, the uh, shirt was adorned with the ProBiz uh, logo on the front of the shirt for the Barnsley match. And as far as I understand it, uh, the uh, remainder of the season will see ProBiz featuring on the back of the shirt. Uh, the, uh, the, the the press statement on the ProBiz uh, website wasn't entirely clear. But uh, we should know in the next couple of days about that arrangement. Well, that's, uh, that's all we have time for. So I'd just like to say uh, thank you to all our participants today uh thanks very much cami yeah thank you ben and uh, just like to say happy new year to everyone yeah thanks very much um it's been a, a bit of a tough 2012 we can only hope that 2013 isn't uh, quite so bad but uh, we shall see he is open to mark hughes taking charge <laughs> <laughs> full full charge yeah yeah Good. and eddie thanks for coming on again yeah, it's always a pleasure. And uh, do, you, do you want to wish people a Happy New Year? <laughs> yeah, Happy New Year to everyone. Everyone can celebrate by thinking that on January 1st last year, we, we won at Old Trafford. So if this year gets off to a rough start, maybe it's not the worst worst sign of things to come. It was December 31st, Eddie. <laughs> oh, was it really? Oh, so then take that back. The year got off to a terrible start. <laughs> Never mind. There was nothing good in 2012. (laughs) Ultimate proof. Sorry to take that crumb of comfort away from you.
Yeah, I thought I thought maybe <laughs> maybe maybe this would revert it, but as it turns out, 2011 was great. 2012 was horrible. And he's off to kill himself now. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the last. This is my last action. Good. And Scotty, uh, thanks uh, thanks for coming out uh, today and uh, uh, talking to us and joining in. No problem, man. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me. And yeah, I wish everyone else a happy new year and um, let's hope for better. It can't get worse, surely. Uh, Actually, it probably can, can't it? But um, let's hope it doesn't. (laughs) Also, we didn't invite you on, actually. You just came on. (laughs) Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, thanks thanks, uh, to Scotty. And, uh, of course, uh, Cammy and Eddie will be with us uh, in the new year. Um, we've had a pretty lousy 2012, but uh, in spite of that, uh, uh, we wish everyone, uh, wherever you are in the world, a very happy New Year 2013. Uh, thanks ever so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to your support in 2013. Thank you very much. <laughs>